0: Hello, and welcome to the Ocean Impact podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. I'm Nick Shirelli, Thanks for joining me. Late last year, OIO ran the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. We were inundated with almost 200 applications from 38 countries and were blown away by the incredible breadth and quality of ideas and ventures that applied, all trying to make a positive impact on planet ocean. Over the course of this Pitchfest 2020 series of the Ocean Impact Podcast, we'll dive into the challenge and opportunity areas that each of the finalists are working on, find out about their unique solution, and discuss the key challenges and learnings they've encountered on their journey so far. We'll also discuss their why, their motivation for working towards a healthy ocean, what the road ahead looks like for them, and how you, the listener, might be able to support their journey. This week, I'm talking to Tom Dennis. Who's the co founder and chairman of Australian company Waveswell Energy, who placed second in the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020? Waveswell have developed the UniWave 200 that utilizes a unidirectional oscillating water column to effectively mimic a blowhole and generate electricity. The oscillating water column consists of a chamber that's open underneath the waterline and as waves past the oscillating water column, the water rises and falls inside, forcing air to pass by a turbine at the top of the chamber and generating electricity. Waveswell were recently awarded a $4 million grant from the Australian Renewable Energy Agency to develop a demonstration project using the UniWave 200 on King Island in Bass Strait and in collaboration with Hydro Tasmania. At the time of recording this conversation, The UniWave 200 unit was in the process of being transported to King Island and I'm happy to report that it was successfully deployed in January 2021. The technology has several applications and benefits in addition to conventional energy generation including displacing diesel in remote island locations, producing hydrogen, producing desalinated water and potentially acting as a form of protection against coastal erosion. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Tom Dennis on the Ocean Impact Podcast PitchFest Twenty Twenty series.
1: Can't take
0: the ocean out of me. Hi Tom, and thanks for joining us this morning on the Ocean Impact Podcast PitchFest Twenty Twenty Meet the Finalist series. Thanks, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So we'll get straight into it. Um, Firstly, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your why? And uh, so what I mean by that is, what's your connection to the ocean, your your personal connection? And uh, what was your motivation to pursue um, this opportunity that Waveswell Energy is pursuing?
1: Well, um, I've always lived... Within about a kilometer of the ocean, so it's uh, it's sort of just uh, I guess part of me um, something that you you take for granted to some uh, some extent. Um, but uh, more specifically, I have um, well my my PhD in mathematics was uh, was um, uh, concentrated around the physics of the ocean and you know the mathematics of uh, of energy levels in waves and tides and currents and you know, all sorts of salinity gradients and all that sort of thing. So um, it became natural for me to want to pursue something beyond just uh, learning about the ocean and actually applying my knowledge in a way that could be beneficial to, uh, to all. And uh, that led me to, you know, thinking of ways of, um, of extracting energy from waves. Uh, there are other forms of energy in the ocean too, but I decided to concentrate on waves. And uh, um, having grown up not too far from the Kaiau blowhole down the south coast, about 120 kilometres south of Sydney, um, it uh, a lot of people sort of make that connection that between my background or my my having grown up, uh, you know, with that. With intimate knowledge of the, of that blowhole and the fact that our technology is basically an artificial blowhole, so uh, you know, I, I guess uh, subliminally maybe um, something clicked there, but uh, I can't I can't put a finger on exactly when that was, if if that was in fact the motivation for the idea for for this technology.
0: And where were you working, you know, what were you doing career-wise at the time when the ideas started to enter into your head? Well, I have to
1: admit that, um, you know, I started thinking about it when I was still doing my PhD. So, um, you know, after that, it just became something that um, grew and and the ideas started to coalesce into, into something more concrete and uh, tangible. And uh, then uh, come, uh, you know, I, I was sort of, involved at various levels of um, you know I, I did have other jobs but uh, I remember in the early days you know I'd come home from work and then uh, start thinking and, and doing some calculations and stuff like that but um, it wasn't until 2016 that the the real light bulb moment that um, triggered uh, the formation of wave swell occurred and uh, that was when it became obvious that there was uh, uh you know, there was a way of doing this that actually was a lot better and uh, um, potentially cheaper and and more survivable and uh, in in, uh, the harsh uh, ocean environment. So, uh, you know, wave swell kicked off then and uh, we've been uh, really, um, you know, kicking goals ever since.
0: And I suppose um, the period from, you know, the the very, uh, Early stages, of the idea right through to when waveswell um, commenced, you would have been driven even, even, you know, more to to go after that problem. Right, seeing, uh, you know, the how vital it is that we do move to a, a renewable energy future.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, even back then, in, in the very early days, I realised that you know renewable energy was going to be something for the future, but. It was probably a bit early at that stage, um, really. But now it's pretty clear that um, the world is moving to renewables. That renewables can be the most cost-effective form of uh, of energy, and um, you know, wind and solar have been developed over a number of decades now, and uh, you know, they've managed to drive their costs down below that of fossil fuels. So, um, wave is sort of the last frontier for um, Ocean energy, at least. I mean, you can throw tidal in there too, but um, tidal energy the global resource for tidal energy is only about a tenth that of wave energy. So, um, uh, you know, they, they are the sort of the last frontier of, um, of the true renewables. And um, uh, not only that, but wave energy, for example, is a lot more predictable and reliable and consistent than wind and solar. I mean, you've probably heard people um, who maybe are arguing against those renewables that, that their main point is that they're intermittent. Now, intermittency isn't a major issue unless it's a very quick intermittence, and that can happen with solar, for example. Um, you know, you can have a plant pumping out heaps of energy and then suddenly a cloud comes over and within seconds the, the output drops. Um, Significantly, and that creates a problem for fossil fuel-based plants, like coal, for example, to try to pick up that shortfall. You know, within a few few seconds, they can't do it. You don't have those problems with wave energy. Um, if you've got decent waves, you don't suddenly have them um, disappear within a few few seconds. I mean, you do have, of course, the lulls between your highs and lows, but that's easily um, accounted for with. Uh, Power electronics these days, and we've got that built into our technology. So even though it's you know sort of a sinusoidal oscillatory input from the waves, it comes out as a as a nice um, even output. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's a great uh, a great potential um, renewable source, and and one from the ocean as we all know. So uh, you know uh, the the ocean can provide us with many things, um, and energy is one of them.
0: Yeah, that's a good segue there, Tom. So, um, you know, tell us, tell the listeners, uh, get a little bit more specific about um, the opportunity for wave swell, the technology itself, um, and what's the specific opportunity, if you like, that the wave swell technology is addressing. How big's the opportunity, and what do any existing solutions look like?
1: Well, um, the technology can produce um, grid-scale electricity, but that's not what we're targeting early on. I mean, grid-scale electricity is the cheapest um, electricity there, there is, and it's difficult when you've only got a, a small um, global installed capacity of your technology to, to be right down there at that low level of cost. But um, the the more addressable market immediately is the, that of remote communities. and there's plenty of islands around the world that um, you know, in a lot of them in the Pacific, but they're also in the Indian Ocean and, and elsewhere. That currently, um, virtually um, all of them rely on diesel um, oil for their generation of electricity, and that's um, one of the most expensive ways you can produce your electricity. And our technology, as long as it's a decent wave climate, and most of those islands do have decent wave climates, we can produce. Um, electricity for cheaper than what they're currently doing so there's already an immediate market for the technology um, the potential uh, worldwide is um, is definitely uh, you know, huge I mean there's uh, a four trillion dollar a year uh, US dollar a year um, electricity market as it stands now and um, you know there's the, the island community remote community, Uh, Market probably stands at tens of billions of dollars per year, um, in um, just in in sales of electricity. So uh, you know it's a it's that's what we're looking to address early on. But longer term, as the more and more of the the technology is installed worldwide, we will see the cost coming down, and we will then be competitive with um, with uh, more traditional. Um, larger, um, you know, mainland grid electricity, and uh, ultimately we we can um, point to some pretty solid statistics that indicate that in the you know in a few decades we will probably be the the technology could well be the the cheapest form of electricity in the world. Um, I should also add that we have a very important additional um, component. To the technology, it's not just an electricity generator. It's also uh, it can double as a form of coastal protection against erosion. So, um, where coastlines are being eroded because there's just simply too much energy in the waves, um, we can take the sting out of that and convert some of that energy to electricity, and therefore what then impacts the 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 coastline uh, is reduced and reduced to whatever level is required. Um, Alternatively, um, uh, well, an extension of that is to put the units side by side. So there is no gap. You then form a seawall or breakwater. It can be a breakwater for a harbour or a seawall around a, a small island that then protects that island, not only against erosion, but also against sea level rise. And uh, we believe that that's a natural um, solution to say a, a, le- a nation like the Maldives where um, uh, inundation from sea level rise is a very, very real um, concern. And they're already making plans for seawalls around many, if not eventually all of their, their islands. So, uh, you know, if you're gonna do that, why not implement our technology um, solve the problem of the seawall, and at the same time reduce your electricity costs and make them make it renewable energy instead of uh, you know seeing um, diesel fumes
0: pumped out into the atmosphere from the from your generation. Sure, and Tom, for the sake of the listeners that haven't seen uh, the wave swell energy unit, can you give us a little bit of a description, some insight into what it looks like, how it works? You talk about the blowhole before.
1: Yeah. Um, well, as I said, it's like an artificial blowhole. Uh, it's a chamber. I mean, a, a natural blowhole, you know, through um, natural processes, there's a cave in the, in the coastline and, uh, and over many years, I guess, that cave uh, gets bigger and then there's a, a, a hole forms in the top so it can get out. So as the water goes into that cave, it ends up being shot out the top through that hole. Uh, it's not only air in that case, but also water, like the spout of a or blowhole of a whale. Um, we, we form an art, or create an artificial version of that. So it's a, a big hollow cave and it has an, a big opening or mouth underneath the water. And as the wave comes by, um, it causes the water inside that cave to rise and fall and of course up above and the part of the unit is below the water but a a bit of it a smaller amount is above the water and at the top of that is a a small opening that we have a turbine sitting in so as the water rises and falls it it, um, compresses and and decompresses the air and uh, then what we do is actually extract um, the energy on only the downstroke now that um, might not sound logical to some people but it turns out that uh, for a sort of complicated um, physical or physics reasons that um, we can actually get more energy by doing it just on the downstroke or extracting just on the downstroke than on the up and the downstroke combined. I know it doesn't sound logical but uh, I won't go into the, the high-tech reasoning for that at this stage but um, uh, that doing it that way is what results in um, what is called a unidirectional oscillating water column. The oscillating water column is the blowhole. And the unidirectional aspect is the fact that we're only extracting energy on one stroke. The turbine only has to see air coming from one direction, not two, which greatly simplifies the turbine and makes it more efficient, converts more energy, it's um, more robust, it's cheaper. um, And yeah, we, we end up getting a win-win, we, we get more energy in, and we also get more energy out. So uh, that that's uh, in essence, the technology. I know a, a few diagrams wouldn't go astray, but we, you know, we, we can't really uh, um, do that over, a, over <laughs> a podcast.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think from my point of view, the way I see the unit is that it looks like a mid-size uh, passenger ferry. Yeah, uh,
1: it, it does, in fact, um, uh, the latest, I mean, our unit for King Island, and I guess we, we might talk about that shortly, but um, our King Island unit, which is just about complete, um, it, the, the latest photographs of it, um, it actually, I made the comment, I, I think it looks a bit like a super yacht, you know, one of the modern day super yachts. That, uh, um, it, and it actually acts a bit, quite a lot like a catamaran um, because it has two floating pontoons on either side or two buoyant pontoons which enable it to float so it can be towed to and transported to its location where the those buoyant pontoons are then flooded and it sinks to the seabed into its uh, natural position.
0: Interesting, yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. We've got some, I mean, if you, if you know what the fast ferries look like on Sydney Harbour, that's exactly yeah. what I think about when I see the, uh, when I see yeah. the Waveswell unit, mm. so Tom, let's let's spend a few minutes talking about um, the the journey so far. I mean, you mentioned coming up with the idea, and Waveswell was commenced officially, I think, in twenty sixteen. Let let's spend a little time talking through some of the the key challenges during that that time, and and maybe some of those challenges are key a key for the wave industry as a whole, and some of them are. Are specific to wave swirls well, some of let's talk through some of those and also some of the key achievements um to date also to give the give the listeners a little bit of a flavor for where you're at
1: mm. well um as i think anyone in certainly in the wave energy space uh, but um more generally in the the uh sort of startup space will attest um you know the probably the hardest thing initially is not not the technology; it's the um, funding, the company. Um, all early stage companies have this difficulty, and uh, you know we've we've done well, we've done really well to be still, you know, we're we're out there, we're we're um, you know we've funded our King Island um, demonstration plant, and uh, we've done pretty well. But it's still that doesn't mean that it was an easy journey. So um, you know, we it, it's always a bit of a, a chore. Um, And as I said, we're we're not alone in that respect. I think we have just about any early stage company saying the same thing. Um, But that said, uh, you know we we've been very successful on the technology front, and uh, it it really is looking very very promising. And um, we're uh, just. with the King Island plant, which I'll just elaborate a little bit on. It's our demonstration plant. It's been constructed in Launceston and and Bell Bay in Tasmania uh, and soon be transported to King Island where it will be um, uh, positioned just off the uh, the harbour of the town of Grassy on the island. And uh, that will uh, be producing electricity, which will uh, be, provided into the Hydro-Tasmania King Island grid, um, which will be uh, the, um, when it is producing power there, um, will be uh, likely the first um, small island grid in the world to concurrently generate electricity from wind, waves and solar. So three different renewable sources. Uh, So that's the immediate, Focus of the company at this stage. Where, and after that, we'll be embarking on a technology enhancement program called Project Blue Fire. Um, so that's sort of where we are at this stage. Um, we're we're very um, confident that we're going to see some great results over the next uh, um, year or two. Uh, not just from the King Island plant, but from the the uh, the output of our Project Blue Fire, which will result in a you know a, a much uh, enhanced um, technology again you know on top of what it is already and uh, and something that creates a, a truly commercial product for implementation wherever uh, wherever anyone wants to see uh, wave energy installed
0: and why why king island tom what was the, the factor or combination of factors that led to that being the first pilot site Well, um,
1: primarily it was because Hydro Tasmania, who are responsible for the grid there, are a world leader in the integration of renewables into small island grids. So um, we figured that uh, you know if you're going, not everything's up to you. You know, of course, when you're providing electricity to someone, uh, there's that other side of the um, you know the interconnection, and uh, we we felt that they were the best. Best uh, option for for taking the electricity and being able to integrate it um, in, in a way that uh, didn't create any problems on our side or or us creating problems on their side. So um, yeah, it was just the logical logical location to to go to. On top of that, I mean, King Island is one of the best wave resource resources or has one of the best wave resources in the world. It's um, it's exceptional in terms of the, the wave energy.
0: Yeah, one of the things that, that rings in my ears quite often when we talk about um, wave energy and um, and the challenge and the way forward for the industry was we, we had Stephanie Thornton from the Australian Ocean Energy Group on the podcast with Tim a while back. And I think Tim put a question to her about where the industry had been and where it was going. and And she was very clear that the path forward for wave energy providers was about um, starting with the use case and the customer first, rather than the technology, a lot of, um, and we saw that actually with, with PitchFest, we must've had um, surprisingly 12 or, or 13 entrants um, with, with wave, uh, wave energy in mind. And, and the bulk of them were starting with a, a, a novel piece of technology and, you know, we know that there's a long way to go to get that piece of tech to write who's gonna pay for it and where. So she started uh, that same conversation went down the road of, okay, well, what are the applications for um, local wave energy? And, um, you know, you might spend some time talking about those. Now, Tom, I mean, you mentioned small island, developing nations, um, aquaculture comes up all the time, desalination plants. Remote communities. Yeah. Um,
1: well, the, it's probably worth um, mentioning that there are sort of two different um, areas of uh, of the market for wave energy. One is, um, uh, and, well, and they're very much um, uh, sort of defined by their proximity to the coastline. Uh, our technology, we've d- decided to concentrate on near shore. So we're we're quite close to um, to the coast. Um, that has uh, a few, be- several benefits. Actually, um, it uh, means that it's not too far to access, um, not very far to run the cable back to shore. Uh, but there's, it also means that the um, the um, the maximum wave size that you might see hitting the, the unit is limited. Um, waves have uh, what. What are called depth limited. They, they can only be sustained uh, one, until they get to about eighty percent of the depth. What's when their height is eighty percent of the depth of the water. So, for example, um, an an eight meter wave will um, break in about ten meters of water. So, you know, you you're limiting the the maximum force on your structure. Um, By being close to shore too, besides all those benefits, it does enable us to be a form of coastal protection. I mean, you you need more than just the the proximity to the coast. I mean, in our case, our structure is a big um, concrete block that, you know, effectively acts as a barrier. Not all um, wave energy technologies are like that. Then there's the offshore uh, space, which um, services things like your um, your fish farms, your aquaculture, your uh, remote um, repowering of say um, submarines and underwater, um, remote underwater vessels that um, might be well and truly offshore. So you, know, you might be hundreds, if even a thousand kilometres out in the ocean, and you have a wave energy um, uh, unit. That's uh, obviously it's got to be floating, and it might. Provide power for those sorts of sources, so um, really quite um, quite different. Two two very different types of um, market to be addressed, and in our case, we're we're looking at that um, that ashore market that can therefore not only provide electricity, but it can uh, protect against coastal erosion or. or or be a breakwater a new form of breakwater for sorry a breakwater for a new harbour um, but also desalination um, you know you, you wouldn't produce water or desalinate water well off, offshore because you still then have to bring it back to shore so desalination works well in our favor because we're near to shore also um, hydrogen production hydrogen is um, essentially a great way to store energy while a, a it, it, it's a good way to store energy. That um, you can that energy can either come from uh, brown sources, traditional fossil fuel, which is what most people are, are, are not looking at. They're looking at green hydrogen. If you go to you um, store hydro, uh, store energy as hydrogen, uh, you may as well make it from renewable sources because then you you don't have that transport um, problem. So um, you know that that's another option for,
0: uh, for our technology as well. Great, Yes. Um, so Tom, tell us a little bit about the road ahead for wave swell. What does the next 12 to 24 months look like? What are the, what are the priorities, but you know, perhaps what does success at King Island look like? Mm -hmm. Well, uh,
1: King Island itself, as I've mentioned, is uh, is pretty imminent, and um, sometime in the first quarter of next year, which is only a few months away, we expect to you know be um, receiving data from the production of electricity going into the King Island grid with um, Hydro Tasmania. So, um, a successful outcome for that plant will be to show that, um, and you know, there's a few different. Um, Uh, stages to the conversion process. Firstly, we we convert the energy in the waves into pneumatic power. That means as air, compressed air of some form or other. Um, It it doesn't have to be compressed. It can be decompressed as well. I mean, there's a a difference in pressure between the atmosphere and what's inside the chamber. That's uh, a form of energy in in that um, uh, variation of pressure. That then has to be converted to um, through via the turbine into mechanical or shaft power. And then that shaft power has to be converted into electricity through the through the generator. So there's three different um, fundamental stages of, of the conversion efficiency process. And we will be looking to demonstrate that each of those lives up to the predictions that the technology has um, has made through the, the various testing, including probably um, Certainly one of the most important is the the hydrodynamic phase um, that we tested at uh, the Australian Maritime College uh, in Launceston. That's the the first stage of the process and it's very fundamental to getting the the energy and the waves into the system. King Island's aim to, to demonstrate all of these things um, and to show that they, they do live up to the potential that we expect. And of course, we're going to get a lot of data from the from the, the unit that will be the inputs into Project Bluefire. That's our follow-on. And um, uh, that, will, that, that data will be used to enhance the technology and, and make all of those. Processes, all of those stages of the conversion process, um, even more efficient again. So, we will optimize the um, those um, stages and, and get a, an even better technology at the end of uh, Project Blue Fire. So, that's really what the next 24 months, 12 to 24 months, looks like. Of course, we will be uh, looking to um, build a, a project pipeline, um, most likely for um, remote island. Locations and uh, trying also to, uh, I guess, incorporate our um, our coastal protection aspect into some of those uh, into that um, that uh, project p- pipeline.
0: Great, and Tom, for the uh, budding ocean impact entrepreneurs out there that might be at the start of their journey, do you have any tips? from your years of experience with Waveswell, any um, any key learnings, one or two key learnings that you might share for them?
1: Well, I think that most are going to say, if there was someone who came to me now and said, what do you suggest, you know, I've got this idea, how do you suggest I go about getting it, um, you know, built into a, a technology and a company, um, you know, I. I've the, the first thing they're going to struggle with is the funding part of it. Um, everyone likes a great idea, but you, unless you can show that it's really got some legs, no one's going to tip money into it. And therefore, you, you really aren't going to go very far. So the, the first thing you've got to do is is not, you don't have to prove your technology to the nth degree, but you do have to show that it has a solid basis and, and a, it has advantages over other things. So, um, I would say, you know, you do have to find at least a little bit of money to go and test at a university. You have to have authority behind it. You can't just say, I tested this in my backyard and this is how good it is because, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's no shortage of people out there who will talk up their technology and uh, over uh, overtalk it, you know, exaggerate it. The, the benefits, So you do need to have some sort of independent validation that you can gain from having it tested at a, you know, a, a respected academic institution like, you know, a, something like the Australian Maritime College is the largest tank test facility in the uh, Southern Hemisphere. So, um, you know, that, that whether it's there or the University you know, of New South Wales Water Research Laboratory, and there are others as well. They all will test, um, you know, using world-class facilities and world-class, accepted testing procedures and protocols, and will then um, uh, issue a report that you can then take to show funders, and, and the funder will then say, "Oh, well, this this looks good, and this is not just you saying it; it's it's someone independent saying it." So I think that's the way you have to go, you know, unless you're a Multi-millionaire in your in the first instance, and you can do all the funding yourself. Well, then that's a different situation. But uh, you know, at some stage, you still have to go through that process.
0: Yeah, and I mean, even if you are that multi-millionaire, you still uh, you know it's applicable just across uh, almost anything really. Get yourself some good advice. Ask a lot of questions. Mm. Um, it, it, it all sorts of helps. You can you can shoot through that. You can shoot through those millions fairly quickly. Uh, if you don't get the right people around you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You you can waste a lot. And, you know, you don't want to live in a fantasy land. You want to have really positive, well, um, positive um, critical advice, you know, Um, someone not just criticising for no reason, but someone who is trying to be critical for the right reasons, telling you where it may, you may have um, shortfalls and shortcomings. So, um, yeah, I think that you've got to do that sort
0: of or go down that path. And the sooner you hear that sort of stuff, the better.
1: Yeah, the sooner you can start making the corrections that are needed or, you know, doing whatever is required. Um, you know, developing a technology is uh, is a you know, fairly long process and um, it doesn't all happen in on day one, but, uh, you know, it, it helps if you've uh, um, got patience
0: and uh, you're willing to, you know, take a bit of time to do it. Sure. Tom, we're getting pretty close to the end of our conversation, but um, we might just finish with, uh, is there any ways that people can support you in your journey? Are you looking for investors? Uh, Where can people go to find out more? Uh, Take a moment to unashamedly plug Waveswell and anything you might need going forward. Okay, well, uh,
1: um, as I said, um, funding is always an, an issue and we're definitely um, uh, happy to, to um, speak with anyone who may have a desire to, to invest in the company. Um, if you would, um, over the podcast, I guess the easiest way to, to provide information is to visit our website and there's, um, there's an email address there that you can, uh, I think it's info at waveswell.com. Uh, that you can um, get in contact with uh, with the company to to talk about um, you know what you might uh, like to do in terms of of an investment or if it's something else um, that you want to discuss I mean you might have a, a potential project uh, that we'd be interested in anyway that, that's the way to get in touch with the with us is through info at waveswell.com. Um, yeah it, it's um, other than that um, uh, you know please stay stay uh connected and i mean the, the website's one way of doing so of course but um uh, i'm sure you'll hear about um the way the, sorry the king island project um through the, the normal media channels um you know in the coming months so uh, you know it's it's going to be a, um, a good interesting journey and uh, one we're really looking forward to so uh, um, it's all exciting times.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to see um, the King Island project come to life, Tom, and, and looking forward to um, hearing all about your success there. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Ocean Impact podcast. um Have a great day.
1: Okay, thanks, Nick. It was um, yeah, it was a great uh, experience, and um, yeah, I hope uh, the listeners get something out of it. I'm sure they will. Thanks, Tom. Okay, thanks. Cheers. But